0: Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into these great Christian thinkers through the years. This evening, we are going to be about one St. Dominic, and I'm very much looking forward to to having the opportunity to engage with you on this uh, towering figure of Saint Dominic, and I will do so with John O'Hara, who is in studio with me this evening. So John, great to have you with me another evening. Great to be back, Joe, thank you. So Saint Dominic, uh, another widely popular figure, John. It's interesting to speak of Saint Dominic, we often speak to him in the context of a contemporary of his, Saint Francis of Assisi. Uh, These are two men that lived during the same period, Uh, We speak of St. Francis with St. Dominic because I think it helps us better understand uh, the beauty and the mystery of the body of Christ. What do I mean? Well, St. Francis of Assisi, while he was similar to St. Dominic, there were differences. As we noted several weeks ago, when you talk about uh, St. Francis, what you're highlighting at its core really is the corporal works of mercy— When you talk about Franciscan spirituality, the Franciscan life, you're talking about the corporal works of mercy. With St. Dominic, you're talking about the spiritual works of mercy, where there's an emphasis on uh, education, there's an emphasis uh, on on preaching. Now, there's also something else to be had with these two figures. Uh, I think we noted several weeks ago, John, with St. Francis, that uh, this was a man who did not intend to start a religious community. Uh, He, I'm (laughs) sure— Never dreamed of having a community named after him, the Franciscans. And uh, we can say the same of St. Dominic. Now, if you follow the writings of those who followed St. Dominic, uh, they speak of him at the end of his days, certainly desiring to start a religious community. But at its beginning, this is not what St. Dominic wanted. He, like St. Francis John, simply was responding to the gospel. Okay, And in time, he saw the need for uh, this I don't want to say new charism, but certainly a renewed charism to focus in on uh, the preaching Christ and what that was all about, hence why the Dominicans are called the Order of Preachers. And certainly, John, we're going to get uh, into this a great deal, but I bring up St. Francis so as to better understand St. Dominic, and in doing so, better understand the nature of the Catholic Church that each and every one of us, John, have in Unrepeatable gift to share, an unrepeatable charism. And God calls us to live out this charism. And we do so um, by espousing towards maybe uh, one of these religious communities that offer for us that kinship that we might have in the interior life. So, all very important. That being said, John, let us go ahead and jump into the life of one Saint Dominic, a man whose life is worth talking about.
1: We're talking about. He was born in 1170 and died in 1221. So he died at about 51 years old. His mother is Blessed Joan of Aza. I don't know anything about her. And his father is believed to be Felix Guzman. It was not a wealthy family, but they had well-to-do connections. And at 14, he became a canon. That means he went to a cathedral and he worked there. And he did some very good work there. This is the way a young man rose up in those days. You got noticed by somebody a little higher up, Thomas More did it this way, and you kind of get brought in here, 14, 15-year-old mm-hmm. kid. If you've got some talent, let's see what we can do with it. So he gets ordained, I think, at the usual time. And then the man who brings him in uh, is called to be the bishop, Osma. And Dominic becomes the head of this group of canons in the church. He's elected this is in Castile, in Spain, uh, Mm -hmm. St. Dominic is a a Spaniard. And the king of Castile wants this bishop to go to Denmark to arrange the marriage of his son with, I guess, a Danish princess of some sort. And this bishop says, yes, your highness, and he takes Dominic with him. And on the way, they stop off in the French town of Languedoc, where there was the Albigensian heresy raging. Mm -hmm. And they stop at a home there uh, to have dinner and to spend the night. And uh, one of the people, either the woman or the man, was a an Albigensian for sure, mm-hmm. and Dominic and her or him have an, a conversation into the night, all night long, just talking back and forth about this heresy. And when dawn came up, this Albigensian abjured this religion and became Christian. And this is kind of Dominic's Mother Teresa moment. Mother Teresa was on the train going to a poor area. To, this is my calling. I've got to leave my teaching job. And mm-hmm. this was his. Mm-hmm. Now, it didn't happen immediately, but he knew what he wanted to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's under obedience to his religion, so he has to wait a while. But he goes back with the bishop, and he wants to go there. And they knew the pope, who was Innocent the Third at the time, and... Uh, Dominic was allowed to go back into this territory uh, with the the monks at Citeaux, and he was told with the monks, I think you're doing it the wrong way. Don't go in there in carriages, don't go there in horses, you just walk in. Remember, the Albigensians are purists. They don't Mm -hmm. marry because they're just pure. You know, we're going to have to approach them that way. And he goes back, and he's quite effective with them, but he kind of works alone. Now, other people are attracted to him, but he generally works alone. He wears the uh, habit of an Augustinian, because that was we'll say, the, the order that he, he had belonged to. And as time goes by, he's more and more successful. Innocent the third, and Innocent the third dies, and is followed by Hanarius the third. And uh, anyway, they start a, an order, and he's already got quite a few people who are interested mm-hmm. in him. And he is dedicated to preaching. And we are going to save souls through preaching. And if you're going to preach, you've got to know your stuff. Therefore, study is a huge part of what we're going to do. Now, about 1215, 1216, the order goes out. Remember, he dies in 1221, so he's already at 45 when this order gets started. Their main mission was they were going to save people through preaching. And if they were going to save people through preaching, there was going to have to be assiduous reading going on. Mm-hmm. And silence was to be uh, valued in their community because uh, you had to have quiet to, uh, to study. And they did have their choir, their liturgy, of the hours, but it was quite rapid and done quickly because they had they had other things in mind. Remember, the Benedictines were ora et labora, pray mm-hmm. and work out in the fields. No, we we pray is a big, but we are going to do it together, and then we go off to do our studying and off to do our preaching. And they, unlike the Je- the Jesuits, do not pray the office together. They they do it separately, but. the the Dominicans do say it together. Uh, They live in community. Mm -hmm. Mainly, they were a preaching order. They say through talk, and they studied quite hard. Now, remember Thomas Aquinas. Now, Thomas Aquinas was born after uh, St. Dominic died. The Dominicans, to this day, are one of our more intellectual orders, Mm -hmm. and I think they've had four popes through the history of the Church, and they're a bright group.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the three great orders, you'd have the Franciscans, as we noted a couple weeks ago, Uh, the Jesuits you just mentioned, and the Dominicans. Um, Certainly the Carmelites would be the other. You know, you had mentioned, John, this need to study. Really, the the Christian ideal for St. Dominic and the order that he started was really about community life in poverty and study. This this reality that there was um spiritual value to sacred study and in particular not only the truths of our faith but for saint dominic there was a special emphasis into sacred scripture You know, in Dave Erboom, paragraph 11, we have that great line, sacred scripture is the soul of all theology. Uh, That is something that is rooted in Dominican life and thought, because everything that he did was always rooted in a deeper understanding of sacred scripture. So yeah, he would uh, make sure that if you were going to preach on the Word of God, if you were going to preach on any aspect of the faith, it was going to be anchored in the Word of God. And The only way for it to be anchored in the Word of God was to, of course, pray, yes, but also diligently study. And you do see uh, some of the distinctions here, as you noted, uh, John, between just not the Franciscans, but also the Benedictines. Uh, There was just more of an emphasis on this or that, and that is part of the pronouncement of the charism itself. It's not in contention per se, with other charisms or other religious communities, as much as it is an expression of the body of Christ. And this is why I said what I said in opening. We have to appreciate uh, the uh, dynamic that is going on with the left hand and right hand, with the left shoulder and right shoulder. We need all of these charisms, all of these gifts for the body of Christ to uh, breathe the air it needs to breathe.
1: Yeah, um, good point. Now one problem the Dominicans may have had is that when you get into we we'll say the academic life, things you can get pretty heady over that. Mm-hmm. I mean it happened it happened in the Middle Ages as it happens today in our universities. There's all kinds of egos running around there. We are familiar with that. but they had to really watch that sort of thing. I mean they became the stars at the University of Paris and mm-hmm. uh, so uh, you know that can do things to you but um, from Dominic, I mean the, the holiness, was the deal. I mean, we are poverty, we we live like the apostles. Yeah.
0: yeah, there's something that's in there's something that's interesting that happens in history, John, and it comes to mind as you're talking now. <laughs> when the founder of your religious community is extraordinary in one particular thing, when you are not living that out, there are going to be fingers pointing at you. Take for example, Saint Francis. If a Franciscan is driving the nicest car or living in the nicest house, there will be accusations. Why? Because who are people going to think of? Well, St. Francis. And the same is true of St. Dominic in the context of this intellectualism, if you will. Uh, you s- just noted the, the University of Paris and all of these great universities that had so many Dominicans. If you got ahead of yourself, that is to say, if you were putting too much of an emphasis on the mind over the heart, there was going to be some criticism, justifiably so. That is not to say, though, at any point in time, this is what St. Dominic was about, because St. Dominic was about holiness, John, I want to go back a little bit into uh, Dominic's life here, uh, specifically his uh, travels, because he became aware of two enormous challenges for the Church of his time. A, the existence of people who were not yet evangelized, we could say, uh, on the northern boundaries of the European continent, and B, the religious schism that undermined Christian life in the south of France, where... The activity of certain radical groups was creating a disturbance and distancing people from uh, the truth of the faith. So it was that missionary action for those who did not know the light of the gospel and the work of the re-evangelization of Christian communities that became ultimately the apostolic goals that Dominic would be resolved to pursue. In other words, 800 years ago, Dominic was made aware of the mission ad gentis. That is to say, the mission to take the gospel into those regions where the person of Jesus Christ was, for all intents and purposes, unknown, And, and at the same time, to understand the need to re evangelize those closest to you, always mindful of the person you are looking at in the mirror. It reminds me of how
1: little times have changed from then until now. The same problems he faced, we see today.
0: That is so true, John. And it's interesting, we've been going through Benedict XVI's uh, Wednesday audiences. I don't know up to this point if Benedict XVI has ever used the word or phrase new evangelization as much as he did with our figure this evening. Why? Because, well, (laughs) what we just talked about. This is the essence of the new evangelization. We have to, as Benedict XVI notes, develop this cultural dimension of faith. What does that mean? Well, faith comes from God. What cultural dimension? Well, what Benedict XVI means, and what Saint Dominic was about, Was this need to understand where culture is at so we can bring the faith and make it comprehensible to the people? Essentially make what is so incomprehensible comprehensible. And in that context, he says we need to enculturate, bring the gospel to the culture, and bring people to the person of Jesus Christ. This John, is what Paul did in Acts 17 in the area of Pogus, which was the cultural meeting center. He went to them. He went to the Greeks. He went to the philosophers, and he took their language, their world, and he showed them how the sum total of their understanding of what they thought was found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are to do the same today, using all mediums at our disposal, huh? I was thinking the other day, John, you know, we live in a very technical savvy world, do we not? I mean, everywhere you turn, I know you're just telling me you got a new smartphone, right? A new iPhone. Everyone has an iPhone. Okay. That's all fine and well. But if you were to pull back and to think about something, there is technologically speaking, and we can at the same time say culturally speaking, an emphasis on the eye. What do I mean? We have iPhones, iPads, and iPods. We take our iDrives and upload our iTunes onto our iPods, and just in case there was not enough uh, emphasis on the i, we take selfies with our iPhones and iPads, and we put them on Facebook for all the world to see (laughs) i. You think (laughs) it's it's silly. Now, I get this is the world we live in today. Are we using this as a means to evangelize? Excellent point. You see, and this is what the spirit of St. Dominic would have us thinking about today. Now, that being said, he was a preacher. He was a preacher. He understood the power of the audible sound, the Word of God. I go here, John, because in those iPhones, iPads, and iPods, there's just texting, Facebooking, there's tweeting, there's no audible sound. Yes, we go there and we can upload YouTube, all right, and that's a good thing, and you know, we are all about that today, but we must never forget the importance of the audible sound. We must never forget the, the importance of preaching, and like St. Dominic, anchor that preaching in prayer.
1: I went on a men's retreat down in Alhambra, and mm. this was put on by the Carmelite on just holy spiritual things, and I remember... Every one of them had one of these cell phones. This was a little early. They all looked like that oyster shell open up. <laughs> uh, and I mean, they were not goofing around. I mean, this is how they made sure, sure that the food sure. and everything was ready to go for that. I mean, I, you hardly noticed, but I mean, they had them and they knew how to use them. Yeah, sure. And sure. I, I was thinking, of course, of um, Father Barron. And now he went out using YouTube because that way he could reach the unchurched. If you're a priest, you want to reach the unchurched because they're not coming to church. Absolutely. And uh, he would go on the make these YouTube videos because he knew. Many of our generation, they don't like to read. They'd rather listen to a seven-minute video than read a three-page paper. So, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, and the the essence of it is, John, you meet people where they're at. Right. We cannot uh, tell anyone to read this or read that if they're just simply more inclined in their proclivities to... Uh, watch a YouTube or listen to a podcast. You know, we were in this radio studio some time ago, John talking about how can we reach more people, and someone came up to me and said, hey Joe, you should put your podcast on iTunes. Great idea! You know, Father Barron is really the model for 2015. Why? Because he really does take all mediums, both old and new, to bring the gospel message to the people. And again, to never lose sight of our figure uh, this evening. This is what St. Dominic was about in his day. Yeah. Right? This is what he was about in his day.
1: I heard Father Barron say that one of his favorite evangelists was Bishop Cardinal Dolan in New York. Why? Because mm. he was happy, he smiles. That may be an aspect of new evangelization.
0: Oh, you're absolutely right, John, and not only in aspect, but in so many ways, as we've hit it so hard on this radio program, it really is what lies at the heart of the New Evangelization, that is joy. So yeah, important to note.
1: I have been to St. Dominic's Church in San Francisco. I think it is the my favorite church. It's beautiful looking, and uh, the Dominicans run it, and the services there are quite... Uh, I, I enjoy them. Of course, the mm-hmm. homilies are good, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the services are good, but uh, you can kind of see the charism of the dominicans coming across in in that church and uh, and that's not a wealthy church i mean that it's located in the fillmore now the, there's no place in san francisco that is poor anymore yeah but yeah. the fillmore at one point was quite unpoor and uh, you know they they, they were they are right there and uh, and and doing God's work, and it's, it's fun to go there.
0: Yeah, if you were to travel the country and the world, and you go to any church that uh, is named after a founder of a religious community, or a saint that has a particular charism, usually the church tries to express that charism mm-hmm. in its architecture, um, in its uh, art, uh, in its sculptures, and that's that's part of the teaching moment that these physical structures provide for us, which I think is, is a beautiful expression of the Church itself. Um, John, I wanted to get to the Rosary, because right. in St. Dominic's efforts to evangelize the Albigensian heresy, he, he made a point to finger the beads of the Rosary. Now, um, maybe for some of our listeners, we need to have a, a lesson on where the Rosary came from, in its origin, in so far as the beads themselves. You have to go back to the early, early days of Christianity, those days that we talked about, what John, maybe a year ago, where the early martyrs, when they would go to the uh, Flavian Amphitheater or the Colosseum, they would wear a crown of roses, and after they were eaten up literally by the beast, there would be roses still in the Colosseum, still in the amphitheater, and uh, when all was quiet, The Christians would come out of their catacombs and they would pick up the rose petals and they would begin to finger the rose petals, reflecting into the life of the one that was lost in the Colosseum. And it became a practice that was in tune with the praying of the Psalms. What am I talking about? Well, in the early church, everyone prayed the Psalms, everyone who was literate. We must remember, John, that over 90% of the people were illiterate, so they couldn't read the Psalms. Therefore, they couldn't pray the Psalms the way we might pray them today as we read them. So instead of reading the Psalms, they would finger the beads. 150 Psalms, 150 beads. And so this became a tradition, a practice within, within the church. And it was not until St. Dominic comes along, where he's praying with these rose-petaled beads and reflecting into how to better preach and reach these Albigensians. And by the way, what do the Albigensians believe? You talked about they are purists. What does that mean? Essentially, they believe that all things concerning matter is evil. What does that mean? Well, marriage is no good, the Incarnation is no good, and the sacramental life where God touches us through material means is no good. So what do you have? Well, you don't have the Catholic Church anymore. The Pharisees
1: keep coming Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's right. So um, ultimately, he was trying to figure out a way to preach to them, and so he basically took the life of Christ that comes to us from the Gospel. Um, He was meditating with these stories alongside of the beads, and consequently what you have is the rosary we have today, uh, where every 10 beads you meditate upon some aspect of the life of Christ. This became a norm within the D- Dominican religious community, and essentially became a tradition of the Catholic Church as we know it today. God bless him. Yeah, so uh, very important. Another key aspect for one Dominic, St. Dominic, was that he cared for several women's monasteries in France and in Rome, and believed John unquestioningly in the value of prayers of intercession for the success of his apostolic work. Uh, he knew well that only in heaven will we understand how much the prayer of cloistered religious effectively accompany apostolic action. To each and every one of us, St. Dominic, I think, John, reminds us of our need to reach out to the cloistered communities, to reach out to those who are deep in prayer, that they may intercede for what we do uh, on the outside. So, um, very important just by way of close, John, uh, what this great saint reminds us is that in the heart of the church, a missionary fire must always burn. It must be a constant incentive to make the first proclamation of the gospel, and wherever necessary, as we touched upon it already, a new evangelization. We ought to see that Christ in fact, is the most precious good that the men and women of every time and every place have the right to know and love. Again, this is the essence of the new evangelization, and certainly we can say that it is a comforting thing to see so many lay ecclesial movements rising up in response to uh, this missionary call that is before us. All right, just by way of maybe a closing prayer here, John. I wanted to uh, quote one blessed uh, Jordan of Saxony, who was his successor at the head of the order after his passing. He said this in the text of a famous prayer, your strong love burned with heavenly fire and godlike zeal. With all the fervor of an impetus heart and with an avowal of perfect poverty, you spent your whole life your whole self, in the cause of the apostolic life. Amen. Elsewhere, he said of one Saint Dominic, all men were swept into the embrace of his charity, and in loving all, he was beloved by all. He claimed it his right to rejoice with the joyful and to weep with the sorrowful. My dear friends, what we have in the life of of one St. Dominic is a shining example of not only that diligent study, but also a man who had a great love for the poor, a great love for those who were in need of knowing more about the person of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage all of you listeners out there to uh, spend more time with St. Dominic. Pray uh, to him for his intercession. If we Uh, find ourselves in in circles of preaching, go to him. If we find ourselves in circles of education, certainly go to him. Uh, Lean into his intercessory prayer, just as he leaned into uh, so many others' intercessory prayer. And uh, with that, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen? And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth